Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. With today's guest, Kelsey Gager, Smart Lab Director at Suffolk Construction. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. This is part two of our sit down with Kelsey. In part one of this interview, she described what the Smart Lab is and talked about the various forms of technology that Suffolk is implementing on their projects. In this episode, part two, we move deeper into the tech and the process Suffolk uses to adopt implement and potentially standardize technologies on their projects. We also talk about AI standardization of data and suffix use of virtual reality. Enjoy the show. So visual data, mm-hmm. um, talked about concrete sensors, mm-hmm. we're getting data on concrete. Um, you mentioned environmental monitoring. Um, how about anything maybe like drone-wise? Have you heard of Airworks at all? They're another local company. I haven't heard of them. Um, We have done a lot with um, drone experiments. Um, We did most of those out of our Miami office, so Mm -hmm. with the Smart Lab director that was down there. Um, So I don't have a lot of um, experience on the drone side. Um, That I think we've mostly used drones for exterior progress um, photos yeah. and um, and for another piece of visual data capture um, and another part of that mm-hmm. um, strategy. But um, I don't have a ton of um, experience on the on the drone side. Yeah, Airworks is interesting. So you you had mentioned SmartVid. Mm-hmm. There's a prior podcast with the gentleman from Smart uh, from SmartVid. If you want to listen to that, mm-hmm. um, also Airworks as mm-hmm. well. And it, it, Airworks is interesting because uh, they would probably cringe at just using drones in the, they, they, they hate the fact that they're thought of kind of as a drone company, they're not, they're, mm-hmm. they're you know, a software that mm-hmm. happens to use a drone to, to, capture, to capture data, data mm-hmm. but um, in, in some cases you're using satellites and other things, mm-hmm. um, but they can fly um, a space and create 2D models. Mm-hmm from the drone flight. Mm-hmm. So where you would traditionally have a surveying crew go out and might take them weeks to collect all the data and then put it in a 2D drawing that you mm-hmm. can stamp. You know, they can fly it and don't hold me to this, but they can fly it and probably within 48 hours you have a 2D set of CAD drawings that would traditionally take weeks. And then they have other things where they've got thermal stuff so they can do, you know, uh, roof mm-hmm. um, inspections and mm-hmm. exterior inspections and they can do some pretty fantastic stuff so they're really about the software it happens to be the drone mm-hmm. happens to be the that makes sense you know um, having it be just one of the areas for data capture anywhere else it's kind of the platforms agnostic to the to the hardware yes yeah yeah, yeah. so um, they're pretty interesting but okay so I think that's I think I've exhausted all the data collection <laughs> then. Um, now that you're capturing the data, mm-hmm. where do you see that going? Right, like you talked a little bit about predictive nature on mm-hmm. on uh, the safety side. On the safety side, like um, I'll use for example the big thing with um, AirWorks is you know you have that machine learning component, which mm-hmm. is when they first started flying there might be a transformer in the parking lot mm-hmm. and the software might have called it a shed mm-hmm. but then they manually correct it and mm-hmm. then it learns like okay yeah it's too short to be a shed mm-hmm. right or it's not you know or a hedge there's a you know a, a square hedge somewhere and they think that that's it. and then but then they correct it and it just gets smarter and smarter mm-hmm. um, so 
do you see anything other than SmartVid where you're starting to see that you're going to see machine learning or AI or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it? Um, yeah, I definitely think, I mean, all, all of the data that we're capturing, um, whether it be through one of the applications in the lab or, um, or another, you know, technology that we're using out on the site, um, all of that really plays a role in the next job. So, you know, there's this weird, like, you know, thing that exists in construction where when you build high-rise A, you would think high-rise B would be faster, right, and be better and safer. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's not ever really the case. Um, <laughs> the jobs tend Fact. to, you know, they, they tend to have the same um, uh, cycle times, and they have, and there, there are limitations. Um, but I think as we um, can collect more data, we can get smarter about the way that we plan. Um, and the way that, um, you know, the job site logistics function um, on the scheduling side. Um, I know with our lean planning, having all of that um, data captured so that the next floor that we do, we can change the sequencing around. Even something as simple as that um, really helps the next job become more efficient, um, safer. And then um, I think there's a lot there as well with the predictive analytics piece that you brought up, I think, because that is the AI side of it. So um, if the machine can continue to learn and perfect the algorithm, it will be that much better at predicting you know, unsafe conditions on the site. Can you maybe explain how that, and it might be a complicated concept, if you can make it simple, that'd be great, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> could you explain that predictive piece, how that might work to someone that's not that might not be familiar yep. with the concept. Yep. So I think, um, and and not to say that I'm an expert on this either, but um, but I, I think the way that it works is that um, the machine, with a certain degree of confidence, can tell you if a um, based on the data that it has been collecting and based on historical data, the likelihood of an incident to occur out on the job site. Um, and so I think the end goal there would be, you know, send a super notification. Hey, maybe this morning um, you guys have another toolbox talk. Or um, maybe this morning you have a, stand, a safety stand down and you, um, you know, you talk about, um, you know, potential hazards out on the site. So taking a moment to sort of step back and reset yourself um, out on the job site using some of this um, information that the machine is providing. So, uh, and I'm well equipped to dumb this down. So mm -hmm. let me try and dumb, this, <laughs> dumb it down. Um, so staying with the smart bit example because we started yep. there, mm -hmm. it's seeing that, okay, we're seeing a trend in too many people on top steps of ladders, maybe not tied off. People not this, wearing glasses or gloves. Yep. And every time we see it get up to 12%, mm -hmm. we, it's a... Triggers an alarm. A 55% chance that you're going to have an issue in the next X number of weeks, whatever exactly. it is. Mm -hmm. At that point, it triggers something um, in the same way if you were collecting the environmental data, right? If mm -hmm. we see on past jobs, every time the humidity is over X for more than six weeks, we end up with mold on the project. Or, mm -hmm. So that's the predictive mm -hmm. stuff that's, you're talking about? That would about. be the predictive element to it. Um, and, and there's no harm with a false positive. You know? right. So if, if you say, if it triggers something and says, hey, we should probably have take 10 minutes this morning to do another uh, safety, to talk about safety in the you know, daily huddle, there's, there's no negative or downside to doing that. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly how it would work. Um, and that's how that predictive piece, I think, has a lot of potential. So you talked about how 
you're trying to take what you learn on high rise A mm -hmm. and communicate that to high rise B. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you're smiling, mm -hmm. right? Which is understandable, right? Cause, and th that's why I'm asking this question. That's a really difficult thing to do. How do you actually make that physical, physical communication happen? Uh, it's really just the, the data that's being gathered and then communicated on to you know, the, next, the next project team, the next job site. Um, and it's, it gets back to that, what I mentioned earlier about the tribal knowledge piece. So like there tends to be a really great project team because um, you know, they're combining the knowledge and, and the brains of some you know, expertise, some technical expertise, and then maybe someone who's really tech savvy. They're able to combine all these different elements mm -hmm. and have a really great project team that can build a tower really quickly, really safely um, to really high quality. Um, and, and that's great that that's you know that unicorn exists that isolated incident. But mm -hmm. where where the you know full organization success comes in is where you can actually scale that knowledge. So it's really important to capture that in the form of data. Mm -hmm. So um, you know if if a, if a super decides to change a few um, activities around on the schedule that really have him move a lot faster, we want to be able to capture that as builder, that actualized data. Um, and then communicate that out um, the next time we build a schedule. So I think that's where the, the data piece mm. um, scales there. It, it scales knowledge um, yeah. in a way that tribal um, you know, intelligence or knowledge does not. Yeah. So. And, I mean, and I guess I'm saying as basic as, is it an email to the next project team? Is it a meeting with all the PXs saying, look, here's a success that we had on this project and we took our normal five-day cycle to pour a floor and we brought it down to four. And on a 30-story, we just cut a month off of the, our schedule. Like, mm -hmm. is it, um, yeah, so, or is it a lot of ways? You know, the, yeah, I think it's a lot of ways. Um, it could be as simple as, um, you know, having a, a monthly update meeting with a team to share stories on how, um, on how they were successful with the specific detail or specific section of the building. Mm -hmm. um, it's as simple as, um, some of those, some of those, you know, just off-the-cuff meetings or, um, or you know, knowledge exchanges. But um, I think that having the actual way that the building was constructed and the schedule that it adhered to and the model and having all of those pieces is more is is also of critical importance too. And so somebody I'm saying else can one come along more, and look at it. Exactly. So having something that was actually actualized, memorialized, mm. rather than just saying, hey, we did this on the schedule, having it actually captured in the form of data so you. that when you go to enter the schedule on your next project, that that data is being bussed from that, you know, data lake to what you're inputting. Gotcha. Yep. So you almost get that as like, this is the new template, then you use that and you can modify it for your job, but you've got, you have all that information. Yeah. From and the I last think one. both yeah. pieces are important. What, the data piece is less like of the human side of it, which mm. also is, you know, important in, in understanding. And there's a piece of experiential learning that can't be replaced, but empowering the next person with that data is almost like giving them the internet, you know, it's like mm. giving them something that's like an invaluable tool with so much potential and just um, something that you w would take 60 years to be learned through mistake after mistake and then finally kind of getting better and better. And yeah, collectively, it collectively gets better and better and you just keep exactly. handing that off. Exactly. Especially when the building is similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. We always say we're not building snowflakes, like they're all, they're all pretty, buildings at their core are pretty similar. Yeah.
Okay. They all have similar systems. And all right. So this would be a good one to drink coffee on because I'm going to be a, I'll be a little longer winded <laughs> on this one. And this is more of a theoretical, but okay. we've got you in the room, so why not, right? Um, a friend of mine was chatting with the CTO of a large general contractor. Um, and he was talking about data and his frustration was that, and I'm paraphrasing here, that without it being standardized mm -hmm. within their company across everything, mm -hmm. all projects I should say, mm -hmm. he was saying it, you have a really hard time to understand what's truly happening because if mm -hmm. you're collecting you know, some data on a third of her projects, different data on a different third, and different data on another third. Um, you know, the data is almost, in, it's, it's incomplete. Mm -hmm. And then you have... The sample size is too small, basically. The sample size is too small. Mm -hmm. and, the, and his feeling was you could never get to the place where you could know, okay, here's our baseline, mm -hmm. and know which projects we're doing things right on mm -hmm. and which ones we're doing things mm -hmm. poorly on because we don't have that baseline. Mm -hmm. um, now the problem is, so now you've, sounds like you've rolled out SmartVid on everything. Mm -hmm. So that will solve that mm -hmm. problem with that piece. But do you find at all like there's a, a, a struggle? Because the, the unsaid thing is, the problem is not every owner is willing to pay for everything, mm -hmm. right? So some mm -hmm. owner might be willing to pay for something that another owner is not. So then you end up with this kind of sporadic mm -hmm. data, and then it becomes hard to kind of do anything with. Like, mm -hmm. what do you think about that kind of concept? Mm -hmm. Like, in, do you guys feel like you're going to try to get to a point where, okay, we've tested enough pieces of tech, I'll call it, that we'll get to a point that, and, and it will obviously always continue to change, but we'll get to a point where, okay, on all of our projects, we're going to use X, Y, and Z uh, no matter what. Do you think you're, mm -hmm. is that where you guys are driving to, where you'll get to a place where, like, we are going to have standardized data on all our projects, so we have a baseline, and we know what we're doing right, and we know what we're doing wrong, because if not, yeah. sorry. So, uh, so I... We, are, we do have standardized data that does exist okay, across the job sites, I will say that. Um, there are so many different pieces and parts of the job that are already, you know, we've, we've um, sort of created fields, um, whether it be through Procore or um, project management software or um, through any of the other apps that we use uh, globally in the company. Um, we have standardized fields for entry so that all the teams are entering consistent data and areas where it's a little bit um, loose right now mm -hmm. we do work actively to narrow those down so that everyone is selecting from the same drop down field so that you know the data is becoming more and more standardized over time mm -hmm. um, and we are looking back at old historical data to you know organize that to where we can um, we can digest that and, and make conclusions on it and um, Go ahead. Can I interrupt? Yeah. So is that the data team will be looking at that? Yep. And is doing much more of a, like, 
strip out all the noise and just look at the data and just look for patterns and look for trends and and yeah be able to draw conclusions from the data i do mm. agree that you have to standardize um to a certain extent which mm. is definitely an initiative and, and something that the data team's working on um i will say for most of the technology that comes um through the lab that i work with um day to day is something where we're pushing the envelope a little bit with the teams. We're mm. asking them to integrate something new into their workflow. VR, for example. Um, I'm yeah. not as concerned with you know standardizing um, the way that we're collecting data on that end. You know, mm. uh, you need to um, put your model and do a VR viewer once a week. We don't get down that granular mm. in terms of the data side of it. Um, all I'm looking for is where is the value for it right now? Where is this going to help our project teams? Rather, whether it be on the, you know, like I said, the, the experience side or the performance side, wherever um, it's helping the team, um, I'm trying to get them to adopt new technology. So rather than um, putting it through the full, um, you know, how are we going to collect this um, and scale it fully um, in terms of a data piece, um, the technology through here ends up um, you know, functioning more as like a pilot and we're, we're going to see where it goes and kind of, we're, we're kind of along for the journey um, yeah. when it comes to a lot of the, the tech in here and seeing how it's going to, we don't necessarily know if it's going to be successful or not um, and the ultimate outcome of everything. Um, but when something does have value and, um, and we think it could be value that would be applicable to all of our job sites, that's when it kind of takes the next step through the next gate mm, and becomes okay. a national solution. And then that's when it kind of enters our toolbox for Suffolk, which would mean that we would be looking to collect data on it on a scale, uh, you know, on a large scale. Mm -hmm. Now, do you kind of phase that, which is like, okay, we try it on one project or three projects or something mm -hmm. small, mm -hmm. and then say, okay, this, this looks like it has some value. Let's do it on multiple jobs 30 projects yep you know what i mean and then if you still get the same results and then it's kind of like okay this feels like this is ready to become national yeah and we have a structure for that and a full uh innovation pipeline that exists for the new tech that comes through um and and it, it, it things do enter it the life cycle kind of loosely you know you'll start out with an idea from somewhere wherever it is from or mm -hmm. you know you'll have a, a like I said before a problem come in or a solution just come in and they all kind of live in this bubble and then they eventually work their way down that pipeline um, and things gain traction and and things that have high adoption rates get noticed quickly you know this team uses this every day must be valuable mm -hmm. all three of these teams oh use that's interesting this. that you look at that mm -hmm. yep okay. so so um, so those are all different factors that we look at and then um, something sort of ends up maturing through that life cycle. They get to be where they're a formal pilot, which, you know, construction isn't um, because things kind of exist in two-year cycles, roughly, mm. um, because of the life cycle like the of jobs job. are, are roughly around two years. So, you know, 24 months, 36 months-ish is the average. So um, you can't start everything this month, and you can't start, you know, analyzing. You can't say, we're going to run eight pilots this month on this project because yeah. you don't have eight jobs that are it's, at that it's cycle. Staggered it's all staggered. And, yeah. So what ends up happening is it's it's more of like a maturity process where something comes down that innovation pipeline. Um, we run it on one job. That's an experiment. Wow, went really well. We move it over sort of more of the formal pilot bucket. 
more jobs come online in the next you know six to 12 months wow now it's on eight jobs and all eight of these teams reported positive feedback then mm. that's when we start to really consider hey maybe next you know next year this becomes something where we have training around it we have support around it we have an sop that's written on how to use it where mm. it replaces what you currently do it becomes more of like a a real like vetted tool that we say you don't have to use this, but if you're going to use it, this is the way you're going to use it. And then it enters into our like, you know, SOP and op support um, area of the business and kind of leaves the lab at that point. That's actually really smart that you have that process in place. Because mm -hmm. I have to imagine, I could, and I might be making a fool out of myself, <laughs> but I have to imagine that most companies, wing it might be a strong word, mm -hmm. but is probably not a formal process for most companies. I don't think so. We didn't we didn't really have a, a full formal process for how to bring tech along um, that that until I guess last year um, when we really started using the lab to do that. Mm. Um, and like I said, we've really evolved over the last year and only gotten smarter and better at doing that. Now we have you know a council, a governance council. Um, we have formal meetings to decide if something is is ready to move on to the next gate. We have input from all of the teams that are, you know, stakeholders or um, invest in from the data team to the innovation side to operations people, all looking at, at these from different angles. Um, so it's really like a, a very robust and thought out process mm. that um, has, you know, taken off in the last year. That's, I mean, that's really smart because, that's why we're in the smart lab, right? Um, <laughs> anytime I've ever seen tech rolled out is, C-level people made decisions that we're going to use this now. Okay, next week we're going to start using such and such. Everybody go to training. And then you start with it. And a lot of times it is can be a horrible product, mm -hmm. but it's too late because you've invested in all this. I mean, it makes so much more sense to mm -hmm. do what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. let's, let's test it. And it's only going to get faster, right? Mm -hmm. and with technology being exponential. Mm -hmm you have to set up some framework to, you're gonna get peppered with all this stuff and if you're not evolving, you get left behind, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but you're getting this information through a fire hose mm -hmm. and you have to have a way to kind of pick that out and try things and not swallow the whole thing and find out that that was a terrible drink, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I like that. And that's it, what I was sort of, I, I mean, I touched on that earlier, but, um, when I haven't really talked to another firm that I know of at least where they are have their innovation piece or their um, you know their their technology forward group that's so close to operations where they're constantly in contact and devoted to just listening to ops and um, and kind of fielding their feedback on tools I don't I think that's really where like this lab is particularly unique to the industry is where um, it's you know focused on on hearing what um, the operations teams have to say um, and then kind of acting on that. So I think that's a, a special piece of it. And I think too, um, what really holds a lot of weight for operations guys, um, at least for the teams that I work with, is it means so much more when another super says that 
a pilot or a project has really worked for him. Mm. Um, and to have them, you know, capture that success story, whether it's a 20 second video on his iPhone that he sends to me, and he says, hey, I used this out on my job site and this is the reason why I really liked it and this is why I'm going to keep using it. Having that to share with another super is so much more powerful than having, you know, anyone else share it, honestly. Yeah. Or as that team leaves their job and gets dispersed to multiple jobs. That's mm -hmm. another good way for that to get passed on, right? Definitely. So we use this, we have to get it on our next project. Yep, and we've already seen that, which is pretty cool because that means that that has already existed through that project life cycle. Um, and so that those technologies have existed on the site long enough to where they're kind of ingrained with their, they, these users can't imagine going to their next site and not having it. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool to see that the, the technology has now, they rely on it, just mm. um, different. So going back a step, kind of when we were talking about the standardization and then, um, so it seems like there's almost multiple ways of data collection happening. Mm -hmm. that, well, yeah, I guess that's obviously is, but um, <laughs> we just talked about a million of them. Uh, but I mean, conceptually where you're talking about the kind of standardized macro data that the data folks are like, okay, this is a worthy sample size. We can learn stuff mm -hmm. from this, right? Then there's um, the solution-based, which is we have a problem on this site, this technology, we're using it here, and we're going to collect that data, and it solves our problem on this particular job, but mm -hmm. there's not enough there to push it into the pipeline, but it's a tool in our toolbox mm -hmm. that we're going to use mm -hmm. occasionally. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other testing model where you use that tool and the data looks good and we, you think it might head in that pipeline mm -hmm. to go to the next level. Yeah, they all end up sort of living in the same space though, whether something um, you know, gets used by every job um, and it, it becomes like one of our standards um, or rather if it's just something that, um, you know, ends up being successful on a particular type of job, um, all of that data is still useful and eventually will, you know, gain enough of projects that are using something to where we could um, kind of service that. But the data is just almost like a benefit on the back end that you get to a certain extent, like hmm. with some of these, with these technologies, um, there is that quick um, initial, um, and almost immediate um, efficiency gain that you get with using some of these out on a job site. Like for instance, um, I keep bringing up the, the delivery and logistics software because it's sitting right here, but, but if you can you know, schedule all of your deliveries for, Monday, for next Monday, um, you've already, you know, used the software to where it's helping your job site here today. So yeah. yes, long term, if I'm on the data team, I want to be able to collect all that data and see what you did for deliveries so that on my next job, I can schedule the deliveries even better and shave off three weeks worth of delivery times and avoid, um, you know, any, um, and see which deliveries didn't come on time and make sure those subcontractors are now notified like this time around, hey, um, you know, you're the last two jobs that you worked on your deliveries were late. Why don't we kind of talk about that or, mm. or make some more intelligent planning decisions around that. So I think there's, there's that immediate win, but then the data is sort of like a, more of a long-term benefit uh, mm. when it comes to getting better. Um, and like that continuous improvement piece, 
um, I think that's that's really where the data becomes valuable rather than like short term. So, uh, but all those you know avenues for how things come into the lab from the technology standpoint, um, and and where um, they end up like living long term. I think it's all kind of the same pool, which is where the lab has vetted it for. Does this does could this work for more than one team, and do we want to figure out a way to integrate it into the workflow? Mm. And if there's success around it, then the answer is always yes. Let's do it. Let's have. It's it's always better to say, hey, we have all these options. I don't want to be biased. I want to give you all the technology that we've seen in the lab that I think could be helpful for you. And then it's you as the project team, just the way that you pick out your subcontractors. I'm not going to tell you, you know, hey, you need to pick this concrete guy over this concrete guy. It's up sort of you as a PX or someone on the project team to decide um, which, who you want to work with, what mm. you want to work with, and what's going to make your job function best and what's best for your specific job. I'm not going to force down on you, you know, you need to do the X, Y, and Z, but I, I see people picking up on the same tools anyways. Yeah. Until it becomes, until it falls into that SOP. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Then you're like, every job's going to have this. Exactly. Which is just meeting the suffix standards so that, like you mentioned kind of when we started, but if you go to a job site and you look up and you see the suffix scrim, you know it has these specific components that make it a build smart site. So, you know, like we, everyone uses Procore. Everyone has the digital um, drawings. Everyone has a 3D model. Um, there's, there's certain like standards that every single site suffix site you will go to that you look up and you see that scrim you know it's using these specific tools um, and that's you always have to have that so that your you know your whole company is on the same page with its core DNA yeah. um, but but we would never want to stifle innovation on the lab side um, just because something is a specific fit for a, a certain job okay that's interesting because I, I didn't go that deep into it that the fact that and it seems very simple but if it's not solving some problem that tech's not getting used yeah. Right. It would never be, you would never, I guess never say never, right? But <laughs> say, okay, this is just something that we want to use on site because we want to collect this data because we feel like at a macro level it can solve problems for us. Mm -hmm. Like you haven't really seen anything that's there well, yet. kind of comes back to that active versus like uh, passive collection side. Like if you can collect data that's passive, like visual data, where you're just taking a stream of video or mm -hmm. using photos um, on the data side, like then you don't have to have someone actively using the technology, right? Mm -hmm. um, the same way that like you know some of these apps on your phone track your location. If you're not actively having to input data and it can just be passively collecting data, that's the easiest way to to kind of get what you want. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd say a, a, for most of the um, the tech where we do need them to input data, uh, it needs to be solving a problem um, or else they're just, you know, it, it, either they're solving our problem or they're delivering on the customer experience side or, um, you know, like if an owner wants to see, wants to have a remote walk of his job site every day, how do we deliver yeah. that? So that's some other benefit beyond the data collection. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So how about the, um, in we're blowing by the hour, so this might get split into two, if that's okay. No am problem. I, am I yeah. okay on, we okay on the room? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, or you can, you know, cut it up or whatever. Okay, awesome. Um, the cave. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about it at all. Mm -hmm. What's the cave? Um, what do we use it for? It, yeah, what do you use it for? So, um, 
so the cave is a, is a VR experience, it's an immersive space. Um, cave is actually an acronym, it stands for Cave Automatic Virtual Environment. Um, but basically, oh, um, okay. yeah, right. <laughs> I just thought it, it looks like a cave, which <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it yeah. does look like a cave. Yeah. Um, but it is an acronym. It's it's a uh, it's a virtual reality experience where you can immerse yourself into a model, um, see it in a three D rendered format, um, which is really cool. Almost everyone that comes in here is absolutely blown away by the cave. And if you ever get a if we get a chance to go walk by there, you'll see the door just swivels around. We did so, it. We yeah. did it last time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's really neat. No one ever expects it there. Um, the cave is unique um, for a number of reasons, but um, what I really like about it is it's it's a different way to experience VR. Most of the VR that you see is the, the head-mounted devices, goggles, yeah. Um, the goggles, yeah, the, the Vives or the, the Oculus, um, which those are awesome too. We have the, we use those here. We have a bunch of those um, out on the job sites actually. Those are great from a mobile sense. Um, they've been really easy to migrate out to the sites to use. So project teams literally buy those now and walk their models in VR, um, which is incredible and amazing to see. The cave is never going to be out on a job site, um, which almost makes it a little more special when you come into the lab mm -hmm. and use it. Um, but what the cave does, it allows you to experience a model with like kind of a social element to it. So you and I could go walk in there, look at a detail, talk about it in like a social, casual setting, mm. um, experience something that feels like spatially much more real and human um like yeah the vr does feel very immersive um and you are experiencing it as an individual but you aren't like in a room for scale if that makes right. sense yep. um yes. and so the cave kind of gives you a different experience where you're kind of in the center of a room and you you really you, you realize you st still are in a room and you're not in a total vr experience there's mm. still real elements there um, so it kind of just feels like a different type of experience. Um, and it is neat being able to see something in 3D too, um, yeah. just because it's an added element of, of reality. So. Yeah, yeah, it's more it's more realistic. Yeah, right, than definitely. The, than the, and now, um, is that something you find a lot of success with clients, project teams? What's the... It kind of is throughout the project life cycle. Um, I've had you know groups come in at all different points in their project where, um, yes, it does. Obviously, clients are really impressed with that space. Um, people, I'll host someone in here, and then you know a week later they want to bring someone else back in here to see it. Um, so that's definitely a typical occurrence. Um, project teams um, like it to use with their design teams. Um, you know, if you bring a, an architect in here to talk about something, it's it's a really great environment for reviewing something together um, and feeling like you're solving a problem together. Mm -hmm. um, so um, definitely gets used uh, for that. And then like on the planning side as well. So if you had a safety manager come in here with a, a subcontractor to talk about um, a specific um, piece of the project that they were worried about um, some of the safety elements or some sort of barricading or like methods of egress for pedestrians. Mm. There's so many different elements to a lot of these projects um, that can kind of be boiled down into, you know, experience it, experiencing it in the VR space. Um, and I think the cave's great for that. The other thing that it does as well is like, if you're looking at a really complex drawing or something where there's a ton of stuff on it, right? Mm. Um, and you have your huge book of specs with all these different, you know, requirements for from you know whoever Amtrak, the MBTA, all these different groups say these are all these things that you have to consider when you're building this plan. And then you have this drawing. Oh, but then you have another drawing that shows like, you know, 
the same thing in like a three different formats. So there's just, there's all this data essentially that exists in these 2D formats. And when you can take all of that and you drop it into it, yeah. a single model that's mm. 3D, that captures all those requirements that are listed on a thousand pages worth of words, it's just, Think of how much easier that is to digest. It goes as back a human. to your. <laughs> it goes back to your uh, pictures worth a million words, yeah, right? Exactly. The visuals worth a million. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so much easier to have a conversation about something when you're not arguing over words. You're arguing over a visual, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I mean, like, also, who are we kidding? Like, it's a great sales tool. Like, oh, I yeah. could only imagine if I want a, I want to build a client's project mm -hmm. and I bring them in and say, hey, this is what your space is going to look like. Mm -hmm. We did some value engineering and redesigned. Right now it's designed and you walk in the space, this is what it would feel like with the ceiling at this height. Mm -hmm. We think if we go with flattened ductwork and we'll shorten the spaces but shrink up the beams, here's what your ceiling height would look like if we go with this model and, mm -hmm. and you could bring a client in and show them something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and we definitely do that. <laughs> and experience that, right? Yeah. That's, what's, what's that worth, right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's- It's invaluable it, yeah. at the end of the day. Fantastic. So. All right, so I'm going to try and um, close up. There was a, it was funny, I posted on Instagram yesterday that I was coming here and the oh, stories, yeah. and I said if you had any questions. Um, one of them was who decides what tech goes in there? Mm -hmm. And I think we already covered that. We kind of answered yeah. that. I mean, mostly it's up to the project teams with a little bit of input from um, top down on strategy uh, around yeah. you know visual data capture or any of the other pieces that are kind of critical. But most of the tech um, that I end up um, spending a lot of my time on, I the idea came from the project team. Project driven, mm -hmm. okay. or or the problem came from the team. The idea came from the from the tech, and then it's just about connecting those pieces. So. Awesome. Um, and then the other one was, uh, do you go in an ordinary person and come out a Jedi GC? <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need to answer that, but uh, maybe if I push that wall that moves and we go behind the cave. Yeah, I think that maybe that's where it happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's where the magic happens. <laughs> yes. Um, and then the two questions that I always ask, especially as of late, um, what do you, over the next 12 months, what do you think we're going to see more of? And what do you think we're going to see less of? And it doesn't have to be in the tech space either. Mm -hmm. uh, example I'll always use to people say, okay, maybe it's, it could be simple, something as simple as we're going to see less paper. We're mm -hmm. going to like, mm -hmm. um, um, on the less of side, I don't, I'm not totally sure. Maybe maybe the answer is you know less paper. Although our sites don't really, we, we're pretty anymore. digital at this point. Yeah. Um, you'll, it's pretty insane. You'll go out to some of the trailers and there's no paper anywhere. Um, but um, I don't even have a printer here. But um, <laughs> definitely, what I think we're going to see more of is more model-centric technologies. Um, you know, things that support. Um, viewing the model in different ways. So I think VR and AR have a lot of um, potential um, in the next 12 months, especially if AR technology can get a little bit um, more efficient at anchoring a model in space. Um, I think if, so like AR is basically like laying on top of reality, right? So um, the most like basic example of that is like Snapchat filters or something where you're, you know, you're able to basically layer um, real with um, digital information. Um, and I think, like, if that technology gets a little bit better and we're able to package that up more for this industry specifically, I think that has a lot of potential. Um, that's also model-centric, though, right? So everything is driven off of, like, pieces in space um, 
that are identified in the model. And I think that's where VR could be really helpful too, is that if you're constantly viewing your model in VR um, and having multiple stakeholders or contributors on the project site walk your model in VR, I think that avoids a lot of critical mistakes um, that you'd see normally out in the field but you're seeing them, you're kind of bringing those up ahead of time, ahead of time in the project cycle. So um, I think especially as, you know, pretty much every job now um, moving forward is it's modeled in 3D. So um, having that model to kind of uh, drive some of the technology in here, I think that's what we're gonna see more of um, when you have a more reliable model with even more data. So as we continue to put more and more into these models to where they're basically total you know, virtual versions of the building that exist um, further up. Because, you know, right now we're, we're still coordinating as the as we have shovels in the ground mm -hmm. as we continue to kind of move that up um, the project life cycle. I think um, there's so, so, so much So you're talking almost there. that that model is being updated in real time. Mm -hmm. And when you finish, when you turn the keys over, the as-built is already done because you've updated that model through the life cycle. Exactly. Um, and then I think that's where, you know, technologies can kind of plug into that. So like mm -hmm. AR, um, you know, if you're a, a, if you're an owner or, uh, you know, a facilities guy who goes in to look at a light up there, you hold your phone over it because the model has all that data on that product information. Imagine mm -hmm. the AR um, potential there with being able to, you know, Amazon a new light bulb for your for your building. Yeah, so so um, connecting all those dots and having them be model-centric, I think that's really where um, we could see some really cool stuff coming so out. That's exciting. So model-centric, uh, I kind of draw it tech in technology enhancements. Mm -hmm. So you're really enhancing that model. Like we have the model, but doing mm -hmm. more with it. You can mm -hmm. see more of that. Just because we, especially, I mean, Suffolk, we are prioritizing the model. Um, all of our projects um, are really heavily invested in um, building out that model early on um, and using like lean principles to execute on the design side so that the modeling is, is completed when it needs to be completed. Mm. Um, and that just, you know, brings, brings a level of transparency and accountability on the job sites that you can't, can't achieve through anything else. So Awesome. Well, Kelsey, thank you very much. Thank I think course. everybody listening is going to love this. I know you're probably like, I do this every day. It's not a big deal. But uh, no, this is fantastic. And yeah. thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank right. you for thanks having else. me. Yep. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Can't thank you enough for listening to the show. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you loved what you heard. Um, if you did, if you wouldn't mind heading over to SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever it is that you listen, and give us a rating. It would help us to get heard, which would be huge. Keep this thing going. Um, if you want to get more involved, head over to massconstruction.org. You can see what we do there. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, all from that page, whatever your medium is that you prefer. Uh, and last thing I got to say is thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep your hands away from me, yeah.